like I wish I I should uh, I should cut together the amount of times I've messed this up. <laughs> hey, this is Charged Pod Weekly, and I am hosting John <laughs> Edgar. Yeah, it's me. Hey, you're listening to Charged Podcast, episode number three. This podcast looks at tech under the hood. I'm your host, Owen Williams, and joining me today is your co-host, John Edgar. How are you doing, John? Yo, yo, Owen, coming to you from New York. How are you today? You make New York sound so exciting. Uh, <laughs> really good. It's spring in Amsterdam, and it's like not freezing today, so I'm very excited about this very simple fact, but it's been raining for 10 I days straight, in so our- it's... In our last episode, we talked about the weather quite a lot. So maybe that's what we should. That's oh, what we should do it. in every episode. Is just kick off by talking about the weather in our respective cities. And this week it's raining. <laughs> It'll be the most thrilling podcast ever. So this week we've got our special guest at the end. We figured it out. I think we'll be able to get him to call in. All right. Yeah, Ryan Walsh. And we also have to remember this week to thank. Um, Manicus, who is a technical writer at DigitalOcean, and I used to work with him, and he did our hot jingle at the start of the... It is so hot. Yeah. He kicked ass with the very vague uh, brief we gave him. Yeah. And so, thank you so much. Thanks, Manicus. <laughs> You're the best. Uh, so, let's kick off this week by talking about the crazy moving cloud that happened. Mm. Do you want to fill us in on that, John? Well, yeah, sure. So, I presume that you're referring to the uh, recent rumors that um, Apple is looking to move some of its cloud infrastructure to, for, off of AWS to Google. Yeah. And, Pretty uh, big. Yeah. Well, and so, I think it's interesting interesting that it got such a, a large quantity of tech press um, because I actually don't even know if it's that interesting to be honest it's it's uh, it's not surprising yeah and I think it's it's uh, it's just kind of more validation that the cloud is a thing and if I was a company that was as big as uh, Apple is I would be looking to diversify my public cloud platform also and I would have a little bit of infrastructure on AWS a little bit of infrastructure on GCP a little bit of infrastructure on Rackspace a little bit of infrastructure on DigitalOcean and so I I was actually more surprised that it was news, but I had this kind of interesting conspiracy theory, and I know you love my conspiracy theories. I love conspiracy theories. So if I was Apple, I would probably at some point in the future presume that I was going to want to have a cloud offering. I mean, I think I would would offer a public cloud type thing to enterprise. But yeah, but for business, sort of. (laughs) Yeah, iCloud cloud for business. Yeah. And so if I was going to do that, would I want to like send a kind of more public message to the um, cloud market to say, hey, Mm -hmm. like we're a big, we're Apple, we're the world's largest company and we're investing. I think the rumor was a hundred. 300 million or something like that into Google Cloud Platform, it just validates cloud, right? And I think right. not that cloud needed validating, but um, if I was Apple, I would want to, I would want a few reports like that over the next couple of years being like, look at all these enterprises moving to cloud, because then if they actually plan on having a, a cloud offering that they sell to enterprise, then, you know, the, the pre validation of cloud to enterprise is done by. Uh, AWS and Google by virtue of Apple themselves investing in that publicly. So I don't know. I think it's an, yeah. it's, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Look, who all moves I to think, public cloud. 
I think it would be more surprising if they weren't dif- diversifying. Like, right. if Apple was all in on Azure and that's it, or if they were like all in on their own thing, I would be kind of shocked. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's the story here that a lot of people missed is it's pretty normal for a company to to diversify like that, especially at their scale, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that's really interesting. I'm going to totally change tact here because something just happened in tech, and this is uh, like literally the second. I just saw that Google put Boston Dynamics up for sale, uh, like right now. Um, apparently, because according to press people internally, uh, people were worried that it's terrifying and sending the message that robots are ready to take human jobs according to uh director of communications at google and spokeswoman for google x which is really interesting that is the weirdest reason i have ever heard of someone selling a company ever 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 i assume that's not the actual reason uh like but this is what they say in here and then they're saying that uh the company was never folded into google x uh, there were uh, firewalls internally, and it was just a total mess. So this is really interesting. Wait, were people actually um, freaking out so badly about this? Well, it says, yeah. So it said uh, internal emails were leaked and uh, accidentally became visible to all Google employees uh, after the videos. I don't know if you saw those videos in February where there's like people mm-hmm. pushing yeah, yeah, robots around and stuff. Like, it's kind of hilarious to me. Um, yeah, it says that they were published and, uh, yeah, there's excitement from the tech press, but we're also starting to see significant negative threads about it being terrifying and they're ready to take human jobs. They ask their colleagues to distance X from this video and we don't want to trigger a whole media cycle about where BD really is at Google. Wow. That is crazy. So they were worried that people were scared about the robots. (laughs) I mean, I guess that makes sense if you think that Google wants to be a very B2C company company that like is trying yeah, to make its way into evil. The, yeah and trying to make its way into the home it's like the polar opposite market message but i i didn't yeah. i didn't realize that people had reacted so negatively to it like oh big deal it's Neither like really good robots but it's really interesting i wonder if they'll still retain a stake or or something like that just to keep their name away from it um that's really interesting what a weird thing i mean those robots are really cool i think it's kick-ass it's one of the more interesting things that google's doing um so that aside from that tangent um this week we uh saw that instagram was at a, they basically announced that they're testing an algorithm for the first time so instagram was very much so traditionally uh firehose model right you'd go to instagram and you'd see all the photos of your friends just like twitter which also happens to have an algorithm now it's a pretty it's a pretty significant change i like do you expect that we're gonna see more algorithmic timelines creeping into social networks then is that uh, it's everywhere it makes i can see why they're doing it for monetization reasons and for active user reasons it makes sense right they want to show you the shit that's going to keep you there uh and the rest well you can scroll there if you're still around um so is like is this the death of normal timelines? I don't know. It's kind of sad. One of the things that's interesting, I used to work in um, in film way back in the day after college. I had a film company, Still Motion, wow. and one of the things that Patrick, my uh, the co-founder. Uh, did was and he was like an amazing cinematographer and storyteller he really believed in non-chronological storytelling in like yeah and like telling the story um but but by building it up through a non-linear non-chronological um timeline and he's got like all these interesting psychological uh theories he's actually a psych major and has built this whole company around this idea of like storytelling and how to how to tell the stories 
uh, of life, specifically in his instance, the right way. Um, wow. And I wonder if this is like an interesting because it did work work really well. Like when you watch his films and the and the they make like amazing docs for CBS and stuff like that, and they're really really for lack of a better word, touching. Like, they're good stories. They're well-put-together stories. And maybe we don't need things chronologically, right? I mean, maybe maybe the most important yeah. things fill in the context of everything else that is the kind of chronological the, timeline, so to speak. The concern I have about that is, like, computers deciding what's important for me. For sure. It might not be actually what's important, right? Like, yeah. the thing that I really liked about Instagram is if I followed someone, I'd see all their stuff. And, like, the whole dance of Instagram was, oh, this person posts too much, so I'm only going to, like, follow people who post one a day or one a week or whatever. So it's kind of a shame, I guess. I wish that as consumers we'd have a choice in the matter. Uh, Instagram hasn't said if we will, but, you know, when Facebook put its initial algorithm algorithmic feed in, uh, it said that you'd always have a choice and you still technically do, but you have to choose it every single time. It's just, it's just a bit of a shame, right? Like sometimes you just want, just sh- give it all to me, put it all in my face, uh, rather than, rather than the curated version. Well, I wonder if that's what moments was sort of could have been right. Like, yes, it, there should be yeah. like your main timeline and then you swipe to the right and everything that they would throw into the, um, yeah. Uh, al- algorithmic timeline could just be in a, like a little tab to the right and that could be your like yeah. super content so or this whatever. is something that I would really like is actually if they put in the Twitter app a different area where I can see the algorithm all the time uh, I would love that because the, the current problem with it right now is if you go into the Twitter app and algorithms just got turned on by default this week uh, on Twitter and so if you go into the app and you look at that and then you go out and back in it shows you the reverse chronological order and I'm like but I wanted to see those other tweets yeah. Can I like how do I get them back but I can't because I now have to go find them it's just they didn't really think it think it through properly I don't know if you if you do an algorithmic timeline right I think it can be awesome because you know especially with time zones and I'm in Europe and I want to see what what you're posting in New York time uh, that's really cool because it could dig that up but I still worry about it as well. Like what if it decides that, hey, John's content isn't that engaging, so I'm going to only show it to somebody 10% of the time. That's pretty stink. So I don't know. Interesting times. Um, Another interesting thing that happened this week is another virtual reality player joined the game. So Sony finally unveiled its headset. It looks pretty interesting. It, uh, I have to say it looks the flashiest out of all the the headsets. It's for the PlayStation 4. It's going to cost, I think it's $399 up front and you need but that it, you doesn't need include to, the controllers yeah you need to connect it to the console too right it, it's, it's yes. not so thing. what's a console what's a ps4 in the us 450 something like that it might be less there now but that's an expensive piece of kit right so you've basically bought a desktop looks really good yeah i mean it looks like a it, it looks way cooler than the rest of them but it's really interesting because playstation's coming in at a price point that's almost what 200 or so cheaper than everybody else they they really could have a horse in this game. I mean, if you can plug and play it compared to Oculus, which in my experience with the dev kit, I'm sure this isn't going to be representative of, of the final. You have to dick around with NVIDIA drivers. You have to fuck around with Oculus stuff. You have to switch yeah. runtimes. Like, it's just crazy shit. Now, is this is this Sony's first f- um, kind of for, foray into uh, uh, VR, or is this is this I just their PlayStation? I think so. It's, I mean, the, it's their first foray into VR, but I know that, I, I mean, they've had accessories before and they've all utterly failed. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like I, the PlayStation Eye. <laughs> to me, the, like the number one thing that I always think about with Sony is mini disc. 
Like they just, oh, they're, just they're, they're not really good at being uh, cutting edge. They're like very non-innovative yeah. company. <laughs> and like the CEO came out and he was like, oh yeah, but Oculus is better than ours. Who says that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, um, but I will, I, think, I will say this. It looks really cool. It looks great. It looks, it looks like a spaceship helmet. Dude, I think if you can plug and play this, it has it has a huge potential compared to a PC where you have to go and get a VR ready Oculus PC and build it basically yourself, set up mm-hmm. the drivers, mess around with the games, probably configure them. Whereas with this, if you plug it in, it's probably like you're in VR. You know, honestly though, cool. I really think Apple's gonna win the at least the mobile VR. Like when you oh, have, well, I don't know if they'll actually even try and compete, yeah, well, but like it's supposed to be. Because, like, your iPhone is, like, the perfect device, and then you should be able to just, like, plug a headset into it, and it's the computer, and it, like, streams the game. And Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I don't... I've never gamed, and I'm not a gamer, so... <laughs> but, I, but, but VR is the first time where I thought, oh, actually... If there were some interesting games and I could like run around the house and kind of almost like or like yeah. play on a ride on a bike or something like that, that would be and cool. like on an exercise bike in the house, that would be <laughs> cool. I would, I, I'd do that. I saw uh, on that topic, Oculus un- unveiled a bunch of their games. I'll put the links into the show notes just because I think they're really interesting. Um, but one of them is a game where you're an eagle basically and you fly around with the two controllers and that like those games make so much sense. It's not particularly taxing. You don't need supercomputer to run it but you're flying as an eagle, you just do all this stuff. It's super fun, right? So I think they're going to, it's going to be between Oculus and uh, PlayStation. Everybody keeps betting on HTC Vive, but honestly, I don't think HTC has the cash. They, they're like hemorrhaging money. I don't think they'll be around long well, enough. Well, I don't know about that, but... Mm. Well, someone will buy it, right? That's, that's the thing is who's going to buy Vive if they don't. Sony or Valve probably will, given their We're going to get complaints in the in the comments again about speculating on, on uh, yeah. acquisitions, but I think that's our favorite thing to do, <laughs> so people are going to have to get used to it. I, we love yeah, to speculate. The, Please don't give us a bad review for speculating. Uh, <laughs> hey, so did you hear that Baidu is doing self-driving cars in the U.S. now? So the, Wait, in the U.S. now? Wow. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, so they announced. I think actually it was. I think it was either today or yesterday that right. they are going to bring their self-driving cars this year to the U.S. to test them on American roads, and that they expect to have a commercially viable product in market in the U.S. by 2018, which Whoa. I think is yeah really cool yeah really cool and i you know it's really interesting to see or it will be interesting to see um what happens when china starts out innovating u.s technology at a really high clip clip and we start purchasing their technology which i mean i guess we are always have but a lot of it was designed in the u.s Uh, and i think that we're gonna we're gonna start to see the innovation happening offshore and then the products that we ourselves have not imagined or thought about i feel like we think in the valley that we see the stuff first but it'll be (laughs) interesting to see when we don't see the stuff first when it just like you know pops up here and it's something that we're purchasing and I, it's super cool that uh baidu is testing their self-driving cars here i hope I, they look really cool too yeah i was gonna say that uh, the so- solution looks a little bit less janky than the google one um but it's really interesting because they it almost seemed to me like they went from zero to 100 uh in a second flat because it was like basically six months ago they're like yeah we're building a self-driving car and then it felt like five minutes later they're like it's done we're testing it now <laughs> so <laughs> it's really it's really interesting i'm sure it wasn't quite that easy but it's really interesting as you say to see them out innovating or keeping up and 
that kind of thing. So it's really interesting to watch that. So, well, we might be driving around very, very soon in self-driving cars. I mean, I don't miss driving. I bike everywhere. But hey, if an Uber can come to me automatically, that's pretty cool. Well, I think Uh, we're way closer to self-driving autonomous vehicles than like most people know. I think the the real issues there are regulatory and 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 government jobs that are gone. I mean, I still am like in shock that that Google's selling off Boston uh, Dynamics because of public yeah. perception. Like, if they think that that's public perception, why aren't people um, super scared about the autonomous vehicles? Like, the death I think of- self-driving cars are way scarier than robots. Yeah, well, autonomous vehicles have the potential to like bankrupt middle America. The median job in the average uh, in the average state in the middle of America is either a truck driver or set up to support a truck driver. Like, right, right. It, that's a much more scary reality of the impact on the U.S. economy. Absolutely. I mean, that's why a lot of countries are experimenting. I, I mean, the Netherlands is experimenting with universal basic income in a city 20 minutes from here. They'll give you, I think, a thousand euros a month, no questions asked, just to see what happens with it. Uh, which is really interesting. Yeah, Toronto's or Canada's doing the wow. same thing. They're doing it in Ontario, basic income. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to happen because it's not. It's not like it's a joke that all this stuff's coming. It's actually yeah, coming. Exactly. <laughs> interesting times. The future is scary. So let's let's talk to Ryan now. I think it's about time to call him in. So here we are on our special guest segment. We're joined today by Mr. Ryan Walsh. Um, welcome, Ryan. Hello, John. How are you? I'm good. And so, Ryan, why don't you tell us quickly who you are? Um, and then if you can tell us something interesting that you learned this week. <laughs> it's the... The 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 uh, never ending question. Um, yeah. So yeah. So um, yeah. My name is Ryan Walsh. I um, I'm a partner at Floodgate Ventures. I do early stage uh, tech investments, and I uh, actually uh, just recently joined up with uh, that team, which is an amazing team. Uh, previous to that, I was uh, running product development for media at Apple, so movies, music, and TV services. Wow. Uh, I came to Apple through the acquisition of Beats by Dre, where I was a VP product um, at Beats Media. And oh, yeah, wow. so I've been been running around in the uh, in the music in the music industry time and media to some degree, but mostly music. Um, and I've had a series of and other things before that, um, and then spent a little time at CMU in early early days. So. Uh, yeah, so so wow. something interesting I learned this week. Uh, this so there's not really a um, like I, I didn't want to come and bring a like a little factoid. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Something because you know those are kind of a dime a dozen. Uh, what I want to want to share with you is something that was the um, it's the culmination of a little bit of research I've been doing into the ad tech ecosystem. So one of the things that I have uh, that I found uh, to be somewhat interesting to explore after uh, leaving Apple and, uh, and Beats has been the ad tech ecosystem. Um, you think that's kind of a, a bit contrarian considering that our, our, you know, our ethos and our values at Beats and Apple were to not use ads to support media. But I find that um, you know, when trying to figure out how you know, future iterations of the web and the world are going to be supported, I mean, advertising is part of it. Uh, and you know the current state of right. advertising, um, and these are some facts that I learned this week. is pretty abysmal, especially for news media. I mean, click-through rates we all know are ridiculously low, but I mean they're in like the tenth of 
2% and flat or, or getting worse. Um, and, you know, with what is happening with uh, BuzzFeed and Vox and, and sort of just the general state of reporting online, you know, 80% of readers aren't reading past the headline. Um, engagement on, you know, socially optimized content, um, what actually what Josh Topolsky, who used to be with Bloomberg, calls weaponized content, which I think is a, a great term, you know, is 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 extremely low. Um, and, you know, BuzzFeed even is probably the best example of this. And their traffic is flattening to slightly decreasing. And so, mm. okay, so, you know, that's sort of the state of the world in that regard. And then you see, complementary to that, you see, you know, native advertising being kind of a, you know, an interesting way to to develop relationships with audiences and, and a different way for people to, um, to, to monetize their content. I mean, really, I think Kevin Delaney and his team at Quartz is probably doing the best and cleanest job of this, um, especially with their new app, which is ridiculously awesome. The, the conversation. Oh, the chatbot one. Oh man. I love it. Have you? Yeah. Yes. So good. I mean, think about it. That's just a script. Like he, that's like the, like, you know, that's probably just an XML file of headlines that's sitting someplace. I mean, once they put some intelligence into that thing. Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a twice a day user of it from the beginning. Wow. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when it gets smart. Yeah. That's, that's definitely the start of something big. You can tell. Yeah. And so, so anyway, I think that there is a sort of a call to action or a, a massive opportunity in creating a platform for native advertising that basically standardizes the whole idea of having a advertiser develop a relationship with an audience through whatever mm. media channel could be quartz it could be podcasts it could be you know the new york times it could be anything and I, and I think that that is going to be the case because the response to BuzzFeed and like this kind of, uh, you know, visual ads, display ads and, and like socially optimized content has been for all of the major media brands to develop agencies like Vice is developing an agency, right. the Times is developing an agency that's not scalable over time for all of the internet. So there's going to be something that is going to evolve from that, that uses the power of distribution that you know that follows Moore's law to some degree in this in this area and will create a you know a way for any advertiser to create a relationship with uh, you know any consumer through any ad platform or through any uh, media brand or, or media site uh, and I I believe that uh, that all of these things are sort of coming together at a time in which also ad tech technology is very old, right? So cookies are old. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the latest the latest thing in ad technology is this thing called header bidding where they sort of take the idea of bidding for ads and put it in the header and you can kind of like increase your ad, um, you know, your, your display time of your page, um, your load time of your page based on, um, you know, getting the ads preloaded in advance. I mean, and that's oh, wow. that's like the state of the art. Like somebody yeah. smart is going to figure out that, you know, you can do a lot better by um, by moving away from the notion of eyeballs being the metric to time spent and the relationship being the metric. Yeah. And, you know, that is, you know, that's something that, you know, it's not a specific thing. It's like not a factoid that I've learned every week, but 
in that long and somewhat convoluted <laughs> path to get there, the metric of the internet is moving away from eyeballs and towards time spent because people are figuring out that the relationship with someone is far more important than the single actions that that individual right. can take. So is that kind of, uh, are you talking in terms of uh, building a relationship so they come back on their own unprompted or is it uh, something deeper than that? Uh, what what kind of relationship is that? Well, so so I yes, I think that you're totally right. You definitely want people to come back and, and you want to build a relationship with, a, with, with somebody who's using your thing, whatever it is. I th and I think that the ad tech ecosystem is going to be one of the first to really pick this up because advertisers are going to clamor for uh, a relationship with their audience that's greater than just like seeing how many impressions you get. Right, of course. And and so, I mean, imagine developing a product or or any type of experience for a user where you did not consider optimizing a single variable or a single action as the as the objective. What if your objective function was building trust with that individual? Interesting. Like if you looked at it, emotion, if you looked at it emotionally. Right. If you think about, I mean, all the other ways of developing products are, are totally valid and fine. You should use them. <laughs> yada yada yada. But if you take this additional frame and you think about developing your product, like developing an audience or developing a relationship with just another human being, mm. I think that this that we make in terms of design and distribution and approaches to problems like monetizing media content on the internet or you know or or, or developing a you know a better home video camera or figuring out how to do storytelling in VR you know i think that that is a very valid and interesting approach for you know, rethinking how we create technology for human beings. It's really interesting. Even just that uh, point of uh, thinking them of, of them as people instead of users is kind of an interesting argument because uh, it's so much more relatable, right? Yeah. Because when you say, oh, the users abandon the page after yeah. five seconds rather than, well, actually people don't want to wait around for a web page. I think it changes the, the, the game. Well, here's, the, here's an interesting thing that I... I absolutely despise Have you ever sat in a meeting where people are talking about engineering talent as resources mm. oh yep you want to go <laughs> like bonkers i want mm. to just yell and scream and leave the room because i'm like hey yep you cannot put 1.25 resources on <laughs> this is like a human being who's giving up their life minutes they're like precious life minutes to help you do this yeah. work like at least acknowledge their humanity yeah 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 quantify them as people rather than percentages <laughs> yeah. of some resource that's amazing well i think that's really insightful quantify them as people right <laughs> oh that's amazing well thank you for that it's so relevant because we actually talked last week about um Oprah adding ad block directly into the browser, which was really interesting as well, because that I think that indicates consumer sentiment towards a lot of these sites, which is kind of scary and interesting all at, all at once. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, obviously, people are going to go with native advertising not because it's just more expensive um, and it can be a, a better revenue generator than display ads, mm. um, but I think that I mean, ad blockers aren't mainstream yet. They, I mean, yeah. they're, it's possible for them to become mainstream, but they're not there yet. Uh, I just can't imagine my mom and dad having an ad blocker in their browser. Um, but I do think that that will, you know, there will be enough movement, enough push uh, from like the ad block movement and people installing them to really to get people to rethink how you develop a relation, how an advertiser develops a relationship with a, uh, you know, a 
a human being on the internet. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, publishers listening, take note. <laughs> All right. Ryan, thank you so much. Yeah, great. Hope you, hope that was uh, interesting for you guys and your audience. So thanks so much for talking to us, Ryan. We really appreciate your time. Uh, and that's that's all the time we have for this week. It's been a bit of a longer podcast, but it was awesome to have a guest on finally. We got it sorted, so we're hoping to make that a regular thing where someone just comes and talks to us, tells us something cool. Ryan set the bar pretty high for the first week. I think week. next week we're going to ha- try and have uh, Justin Johnson, who is the VP of Developer Advocacy at Keen.io, so that should awesome. be interesting. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks so much for listening. Good chatting with you.